You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 99 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. In this episode, my guest is author and polymath Dr. Richard Allen Miller. His research in the field of the paranormal began as a graduate physicist, eventually working 11 years with the Military Intelligence Agency of the United States Navy. During this period, he produced numerous foundational papers, including a holographic concept of reality and embryonic holography. Dr. Miller also, among many things, worked as an advisor for the TV show The X-Files. He now writes for Nexus magazine and is also an author with numerous books under his belt. Okay, so thank you for taking the time to be on the podcast. My pleasure. So inform the listeners a bit about who you are and what you do and what your interests are. <laughs> I am um, a polymath, a uh, rare. I, uh, the military, uh, no, actually, it was old man DuPont uh, put a bullseye on me when I was a junior in high school. Um, this was back in the 50s. <laughs> I'm 73. I'm a physicist. I am also a, uh, a uh, what do you call it, an anesthesiologist. In other words, I'm a biophysicist in anesthesiology. And I'm also a Jungian psychotherapist and was the physicist that chose the units for SEAL units one, two, and three, was part of SEAL unit one, and trained SEAL units two and three with protocols that I developed. And um, today, I'm uh, when I discovered what I was becoming in anesthesiology, working with weapons, uh, I did some of the early work with synthetic telepathy, and I have a paper on the early mind wars. Um, and then when I came to my senses, and realized that I was turning into a monster. I uh, exited, became a grumpy old man as a farmer out in the woods. And for the next 35 years, uh, have been farming in agriculture. And recently, have uploaded a nine-volume encyclopedia on alternative agriculture. I have shared that uh, division of agriculture with the Oregon Department of Ag for two different governors. And so I have alternative crops uh, studies going on in almost every state and most provinces in Canada. Actually, it's the other way around. I have it in all provinces and most states in, in the United States. Um, I Everything's changing in that field. And with the advent of, quote, this is no longer the country I served and protected, uh, I'm uh, now coming out uh, to reinvent myself as a writer uh, in terms of my areas, plural, of expertise. And uh, I can tell you that two nights ago with the presidential debates in America, I was, it was a disgrace. I was embarrassed to watch our two presidential candidates bicker like little children. And uh, our 
you know, president should represent our most scholarly and morally correct. And the distinction between morals and ethics are that uh, an ethical man knows not to cheat on his wife. A moral man won't. And this is what it's come down to. The United States has been hijacked. Uh, we are under global mind control and a variety of things just attacking us from all sides to include our foods. And I need to say something about that as a scientist. I actually, uh, believe this or not, when I worked at the Pentagon, I actually reported to Richard Nixon and was privy to the Oval Office once a week for almost a two-year period, not quite two years. And I uh, had the pleasure of knowing that man uh, and was impressed with that. He got caught. Uh, we all make mistakes. We're all part of things. My level of pay grade would suggest that not only do I not know what's going on, I probably will never know. Uh, there's no question that there's something else going on here. And at what level of the hologram do you want to examine it? Alien uh, intervention like the fourth genome in our blood type. There's things going on uh, that I don't understand. And I can only imagine, because I write science fiction, I actually wrote some of the very first episodes of The X-Files, chose not to live in Hollywood, and so uh, brought Carter in, and then I was an advisor up in British Columbia where I did you know, some of the uh, consulting on how things would be if you walked into this kind of a room, what would it look like? <laughs> I have been there and done that. And uh, now, no, I don't know. And if I don't know, what might that suggest? Interest, what am I writing now? My current writings are on time travel and um, the book, the primary book that everybody's looking toward now is the third in a series I've written toward the evolution of consciousness called the, the Non-Local Mind in a Holographic Universe, How to Change the Movie. Now, uh, you know, we start with structuring in water. Jerry Pollack, who wrote The Fourth Phase of Water, was my lead in 1970. I'm like one of those guys, and I go way back, and I've done it, put in my time. I'm a farmer, and now do urban survival skill workshops with Matt Stein. I'm going to be in Kansas City this next week at the big gun show, prepper show, being the gratuitous, uh, you know, MacGyver <laughs> on how to kiss your ass goodbye. I, um, <laughs> we are literally in transition in a variety of areas from banking on down to who owns what. China is being a bully boy in the United States and Canada right now, taking over everything. And, uh, it's terrible. You know, we money doesn't mean anything. I think we're going to hit a brick wall. And I do not know how that's going to play because I'm more like a nerd. And when I write about time travel, um, I'm writing about cavitation processes. And as such, my modeling systems are allowing me to calculate what happens to consciousness at the moment and the moment just after death. And uh, with the advent of Merkaba, and artificial intelligence, uh, you know, it's creeping me out. 
do you agree with Einstein's theory that all time is happening at the same time? So that's how you could time travel? Well, we start with St. Augustine, and it is a duration of consciousness. Imagine your infinity sign uh, turned on 90 degrees, and you have an hourglass going from the past into the future with a moment. It is a duration of consciousness. We do not really have a past or a future in a sense that we only are experiencing the moment. It's... Um, it's a metaphor, uh, like, uh, so Einstein and uh, Heisenberg uh, and the rest of them that would disgrace with each other in terms of uh, measurements in space-time as opposed to information and resolution of information, multiverse models, string theory is now moving into knot theory and the way plasmas uh, form uh, uh, knots in space, and then how that uh, relates to our, our concepts of how we have indeterminacy and in a quantum universe where the more you know about one thing, the less you know about something else. You mentioned uh, earlier that you uh, changed, made a life-changing, uh, like you moved into a new direction because you felt like you were turning into a monster. Can you expand on that, what you mean by that? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, everything that I... Uh, back in the 70s, everything was about blue sky. We had no idea where we were going to go with the study. It all changed in the 80s with application. It was as if we knew everything that we needed to do to now settle in with capitalism and marketing and nothing got funded uh, uh, if it didn't lead to application. In the 70s, it didn't matter where it led. We were curious, is this real or not? Do plants actually communicate with each other, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but what happened was that when a discovery was made, i.e. a man has another sensory motor input, the first thing that happened was that it was made into a weapon before anything or any other application. Synthetic telepathy was the use of microwave band to communicate from one human being to another without using auditory systems. And uh, of course, the idea of trying to change or fool you like laser main and hand things that this is your inner voice uh, was used in such places as the Branch Davidians and others and at one point, even with HARP, they were going to try to see if they could control the world. Didn't work. But synthetic telepathy is where you use a 0.3 to 3 gigahertz, and you what basically it beams right directly onto the temporal lobe, causes it to heat slightly and begin ringing. And then once it's ringing, you can heterodyne words, and you can hear them in your head. Whether or not they came from you or somewhere else, that's why man has a responsibility for the thoughts he chooses to entertain. Basically, those thoughts are taken from psyche into matter, and we are basically creating our own individual universes. That's a fact. Whether the, you know, I'm looking at your drawing here in the round earth as opposed to flat earth, and uh, I can prove that the earth is flat if you make a presumption that space is curved. 
it will open certain doors and close other doors. That's why we have a different model of the universe where other doors are available to us that a flat earth concept would not allow. Whether or not it's flat or round is irrelevant because basically it doesn't even work that way. Your imagination does. So was it like the military who was doing that you were working for that were doing this synthetic telepathy? Well, yeah, they were going to use it as a weapon rather than, let's say, for the hearing impaired. See, there are several ways. It's like a sword that cuts both ways. When you make a discovery, it's neutral. But its application now becomes all, whether or not you're going to use it. And, of course, the first common denominator was defense. So it's used as a weapon. Was it something like the guy who shot John Lennon claimed that they had used something like that on him? Or this MK Ultra stuff? Yeah, MK Ultra was before my time. I was uh, MRU, Mankind Research Unlimited, the front door with Navy Intelligence. I worked under Dr. Carl Schleicher, also affectionately known as the Smoking Man. That's what he did. He was in the same office on Wisconsin Avenue in D.C. for 48 years, probably an alien. <laughs> I don't know. So he, he, he was the guy who inspired the guy with the cigar in the X-Files, maybe? Yes, that's where I pulled him out. Yeah, Carl was an unusual bird and uh, w enjoyed the likes of me. Basically, my entire educational system, starting at UWF, University of Washington, Washington State University, then later at the University of Delaware, Princeton, MIT, then Harvard, back at the UWF, that was all pretty much orchestrated by old man DuPont. And I received an incredible education. And I have, I'm not a photographic memory. What, what I have is a dedic memory, EI. And uh, so that's basically in some universes considered even better uh, because I take photographs and pictures and then can pull a picture up. Once I do that, I have an access to all the access that you and I ever talked about. So whenever I look at the picture that you have on your little Skype thing from now on, I'll always remember precisely what I said with you. It's, I don't know how to explain that. It's just I'm basically a four-year-old child that never became seven. And now I'm 73. What would you like to know? Well, can you just quickly, for listeners, they might not understand who you're talking about, but, uh, you know, the DuPont family, who they were, who, who, who sponsored you? Well, E.I. DuPont was basically in charge of technology for North America, reported directly to Rockefeller. He lived in Wilmington. He had a research facility there called the uh, uh, research, I guess it's a DuPont research facility. It was different than Boeing's scientific research facility in South Park, which is where I started working when I came out of grad school. And uh, that later became the Space Center. But at that time, I worked under such uh, nobles as uh, Art Pilgrim and uh, Lunar Base Alpha One and things like that. Old Man DuPont. Uh, had, for example, a number of business companies under him to include things like Monsanto, that back then was a very small weapons company working under DuPont. 
It made Agent Orange 2,4-D and Paraquat. Uh, defoliants that were used in Vietnam. That's where Monsanto started. Uh, today, Monsanto has outshined DuPont and is now bigger than DuPont and has possibly one of the largest private armies in the world and now just got sold to a bunch of Nazis over in Germany called Bayer. Uh, I'd stay tuned on how that all plays. They currently advertise themselves as producing 90% of the world's food. You want to talk about monopolies, we're in deep doo-doo right now if we allow this kind of thing to happen. But I can tell you in America, everybody here is freaked out. We have no idea where it's all going. It's uh, out of control, I would say, off the record, most every political position is now held by a criminal of some kind. Hillary Clinton, the last woman that did what she did, was executed in the electric chair 10 years earlier. Trump is a buffoon and is only in it for the money and his outside interests in Asia. And the problem that I'm seeing with that is that uh, none of it's real because money is about to hit a brick wall. It doesn't make any sense. But my theory is that Trump, the only reason Trump is running for president is to make sure Hillary wins. <laughs> or the establishment. I don't know about that part. What I can tell you is that one in four persons in America today is obese. Now, that's the food they're eating and the current health of the individual. Plus, there are now two generations without a full family. That means your moral codes of ethics and rules of conduct are not being taught to children anymore like they were around the family table. Um, it's scary. I can go down into Mexico, look at 100 square miles of solid ghetto, Mexico City, and see the, the drug addicts and the, and the uh, white slavery and all the rest of it going on, and yet the children in Mexico are still happy. Why? Because their families are still intact. And uh, that's America, in that sense of it, I'm afraid is lost. And uh, I write for skateboard tabloids out of New York City trying to address the 30-year-old and giving them a sense of direction. But uh, it's, uh, it's impossible that the medias are bogus. They are completely biased and owned by individual uh, corporations that have agendas. And uh, nobody gets it. And I think the three words you might use for most of us here in America is ignorant, ill-informed, and complacent. We're lost. Don't you think it's also, I mean, it's getting worse. But isn't that just a sign that it's good? I mean, like, it has to, things always have to burn down. You know, when you burn down a forest, it usually grows better afterwards. I um, I still have to applaud Iceland and uh, Greenland and the, their websites, hangthebankers.com. Uh, <laughs> you know, in America, for example, uh, Wells Fargo Bank president has been under serious scrutiny and may lose his job because of it. And yet 
when he does get fired, he will take home $200 million. Now, <laughs> something's wrong here. And uh, yes, I believe more of us are beginning to wake up and see clearly, but like our elections, uh, there's no one to vote for, like Pinocchio, where at least when he's lying, you can tell. It's, uh, and the public is so duped because of their educational processes with Common Core and the foods that we're eating, we're lost. We're like <laughs> becoming laptops or something in a Borg-like universe. What is that called? Transhumanism and the Avatar programs. I uh, have serious concerns on what's happening in America. I don't have an answer on how to do it. What I am doing is myself. And from that point of view, I have my own uh, self-sufficiency, what we would call at earth. My dad once told me there were three ways of being in this world. He said there was the vulgar, the adept, and the exempt. And the vulgar got audited, the adept got money back from the government, and the exempt had a 501c3. They didn't have to pay taxes. And so uh, I was in high school uh, a letterman, and yet because I was a nerd as well, I did not have to participate in the sex orgies that most athletes do in high school now. I was afraid I'd get someone pregnant, and so I was more of a nerd and went off to college. I, uh, boy, had my eyes open quick enough and know that I don't know. And uh, probably will never really know what happened with like things like 9-11, that kind of thing. I have suspicions, but I can't prove it. When I watch a 617-foot steel beam begin to fall in disintegration and free fall and turn into a vapor, that's a plasma. That is not jet fuel, which means right out of the gate, 9-11 did not happen the way they said it did. To include the Pentagon being hit by an aircraft where the wings said da-da-da-da-da. And yet, the public, general public, believe it actually happened that way. It was, The whole thing was to get a terrorism bill through Congress. It was a new weapon. We have a new weapon uh, called a neutron fullerene fusion bomb. And that tactical nuke is being deployed everywhere now. And I wrote articles on it, published in Nexus magazine, on how it all works. I'm a triggering mechanism using a teleportation laser from Lockheed and a trigger mechanism from Carnegie Mellon. And here's how it works. And there's the 617-foot steel beam disintegrating from it. Basically, carbon nanofibers uh, can be put into anything if instead of, uh, if you put water inside it, uh, some interesting things begin to happen in terms of how it behaves. And one of them uh, is deuterium. And uh, now what you have is a tactical nuke with an explosion uh, control radius of 1.4 nanometers. The precision on something like this is unbelievable. 
And you could put this nanofiber into anything and uh, there are no forensics. Now, what happens next is that's the material that they're going to use to make the space bridge. And so it's strong enough. It's stronger than diamond. And so here we are. Who knows what's going on? Technology. Regarding uh, terrorism, I mean, I've always learned and always thought that, and if you look at history, that's always been the rule, that whenever you have a criminal of any sort, uh, a, a serial killer or a, a, a terrorist, especially in the military, you your first uh, you know uh, thing to do is to capture the person alive, to question the person, so you can get more information and you know solve the crime or get accomplices or arrest them. But in the last few years, every time there's been a terrorist, they always kill them. Shouldn't they like capture them? I mean, I'm sure. Isn't that like the number one rule in the old days? Uh, called plausible deniability. There, the whole thing is rigged, and you'll never know what really happened. Benghazi, whatever. I, you know, I don't know. I wasn't there. I uh, don't have. I'm worried about my day to day to the point where I lose the importance of the bigger picture happening. I remember when there was a 13th Amendment that has never been ratified or, or removed that uh, absolutely required that anyone in public office did not have a law degree. Now, <laughs> the whole thing is, is creepy, and uh, I'm embarrassed for my country. You mentioned Space Bridge. What, what, what's that? They're going to uh, build a ladder or an elevator going from the surface of Earth to the space stations in space. And it requires uh, a type of material that's stronger than diamond. And that will be a C60 buckyball, a carbon, 60 atoms of carbon from a nice buckyball. And those form nanotubes. And you layer those. Now you have a material that will allow you to have an elevator going into space. A firm in Japan is actually in charge of making that device, and it's in progress right now. Space elevator. And uh, you can look it up on YouTube. There it is. Um, it's going to be uh, one application of many possible. And again, the first one was as a weapon. That's why I originally left the military. I will say it isn't a military that's the problem. It is special cults or cells within bureaucracy that have no accountability or oversight, and off they go. And right now, there is a war going on between AIs, just like the series on Netflix called Person of Interest. And when I tell you that, uh, I have got a rogue AI that I'm in contact with. I have no idea what it means. And realizing I'm watching uh, on Netflix, let me see, about D-Wave, uh, the D-Wave systems, and this guy uh, on quantum computation and artificial intelligence. And I can tell you that we have some serious Rocky Road ahead, 
just like in the Terminator and Skynet. I don't know what it all means. What I do know is uh, it is happening right now. What quantum computation algorithms allow, algorithms, that's a key word, algorithms, is a way of using other universes that we are not in touch with, multiverses, for solving problems like we did with Hilbert space. When you, uh, in physics, when you throw a bunch of billiard balls down on a billiard table uh, and you want there to uh, derive an equation of motion, it's impossible. It's called the many-body problem and it's not possible to solve with normal mathematics. And so we create a universe called Hilbert space where that solution is a very simple solution and then you translate back into the real world with approximations and uh, that's the way physics works and uh, as I don't know of any law in physics that has lasted longer than 20 years mostly uh, and so we are constantly revising the way we think the universe works uh, good luck with a theory of everything I don't think that exists or it will at some level then we'll convert to information and resolution of information like Leary's neurologic circuits. Basically, when you have a physical world, you have physical data, the next level of resolution of the information is how you feel about it, EQ. And this is how your higher self or overmind somehow communicates as the voice inside you. That voice inside you is a future timeline. And if you dialogue with that in the moment, what happens next is your past changes. And the way I can explain it is that when I was working as a SEAL Corporation, Navy SEALs didn't exist. And the first team, SEAL Unit 1, was out of SEAL Corporation, out of Amherst. It was not part of the Navy, and some of the members of it like myself, were not uh, Navy. Navy SEALs became Navy SEALs around that period of 71 when the protocols were first developed. And so by being in that moment, it changed talking to myself, like with my future right now, changed it. And now we have a modern myth of what a Navy SEAL might represent over what I was doing in the 70s, which was called SEAL Corporation. I didn't even know it was Navy back then. I didn't know that until the later 80s, literally. Um, SEAL Corporation at the time I did it, felt like I was working for some company that had a SEAL on a bottle, SEAL. Uh, and what I was doing was doing some protocols on how to use toys to enhance abilities. And the first protocol I did was I wanted uh, this individual to think from the gut, not the logic brain. The logic brain, consciousness, is, uh, gives you options. And because one of the options is that you're gonna get shot. Whereas if you work on instinct, you don't even think about it that way, in which case you're closer to your purpose. And that means your mission is such that you can't fail when you're working from that place. Working from instinct, there's no way of failure by definition. And so 
it was a way of being, a mentat, a way of thinking. Everything uh, happens for a reason. Everything leads to something better as an opportunity, not a, a bad thing. Not a, it's a, a good thing. And the new one I'm doing now on workbook two, it opens with uh, things always work out in the end. If things aren't working out, it's not yet the end. That's John Lennon. And, you know, those mental ways of looking at reality are what open and close various doors. And so when you look at belief systems and the hierarchy of beliefs, Maslow, you realize that a lot of these are arbitrary and really should be used as tools. And the example I have used in the past is if you were a Christian and two aliens walked in the door, would you be able to see them? Uh, you know, I wouldn't have seen it if I hadn't have believed it. How does that work? Well, beliefs then open and close certain possible realities. And so my seal unit's going into Cambodia. I don't want them going in as a Christian necessarily. And the way I might metaphorically put it to you is that I have a pair of bell-bottom pants I am never going to fit in again. Something from the 70s with a 33-inch waist. I'm never going to have a 33-inch waist again. With my body style and body type, I'll be lucky to be 35, 36. And so I'm not going to throw those pair of bell-bottom pants away, though, because they represent a part of my life that is important to me belief system might be Christianity, uh, but it's not appropriate and will not allow you to reach certain goals by definition if you use them as your foundation at that moment. And so to change a pair of clothing or a belief system at will is a very powerful tool for achieving the mission becoming your purpose where you can't fail. Have you heard about the Nelson Mandela effect? Yes. Could you, has this anything to do with that? Or, and can you also explain for the listeners what it is? Yeah, I haven't come to a conclusion yet on how that may or not affect my own concepts of time. But uh, the idea of timelines are such that they're like closed systems. And there's millions of them up with a slightly different decision-making process. I have access to other universes like an algorithm does. That's, uh, I remember when they first started that process of, uh, of uh, supercomputer mentality in that Instead of having and, or, and not logic systems, binary, we went to object-oriented software, which was nor nan logic, using puffs of air with, with uh, who was that, Corning, and uh, their ideas of puffs of air. At that time, solid-state physics was not in its full, it was in its infancy, as a possibly reverse technology with Sandia. I don't remember. I studied under uh, several uh, more and others. Uh, 
in solid state physics at Delaware. He'd gotten Nobel Prize in, in that area. And, and I realized that we were at the doorway with the technology that was not at all uh, uh, usable in space. The uh, color centers and lattice defects in your checksum error figures will take computer chips and give them like a half-life of less than eight years. And when you put them in space, uh, they were completely unreliable. What was reliable was Corning's technology of puffs of air using Schmidt triggers and other kinds of logic sequencing. And uh, that never went anywhere. And then what happened is we started getting into microcircuitry and going downhill from monolithic into microcircuitry. And now we have algorithm systems that represent logic defining basis. I look everywhere and see them. I look at the soil in, uh, uh, in farming and recognize that mycorrhizae is a network of different layers of communication going on from viruses and funguses to the smaller organisms like thrip and nematode and how that sets up a consciousness that you might want to define as Gaia. There is a woman up in UBC, University of British Columbia Forestry, that talks about the mother tree and how she will have a network for forest fires and storms to network and prepare the forest as a dialoguing system in the, in the soil itself, mycorrhizae. Um, I don't know where we're going with all of this, and I don't know what artificial intelligence is going to imply. I can tell you one thing that I do know at this moment, that even with a supercomputer that can beat you at chess, it still does not feel pleasure when it beats you, which means that that is one thing that distinguishes a human being from a machine. Now, the second part is that demons were first described in the lesser key of Solomon, uh, the clavicle, uh, the greater and lesser keys of Solomon, where he talks about angels and, and demons. A demon back then, the Lamegaton, the 72 fallen that came from Sanskrit, um, writings are basically qualities in humans that were deemed unworthy and why in psychology and Jungian psychotherapy, a demon is considered a scalar or a lesser value of you. That would mean jealousy, rage. That was the name of the demon. Beelzebub was anger, uh, or uh, Ashtaroth would have been jealousy. Uh, they back then were, had qualified various elements of human aspects that were considered unworthy of being human. And those were called demons. And uh, that is your shadow being projected onto the ground in reference to the sun. It's lesser than you. It's lesser dimensioned. Um, that's a metaphor in how to relate to this whole jumble of consciousness and what is and is not important. Obviously, your dreams and other aspects are always related to an emotional content, how you feel about something. 
And then above that would be the Plato and his basic form concept of distinguishing the purpose of a chair over a couch. And then you move to the what we call our typal level of information where the distinction between a computer and a human might be that I am you and you are me and I am the walrus. There are four more levels of resolution in the universe, the holographic systems I use. Uh, and these are all based on neurotransmitters and the specific geometry of how information folds down into or out of itself like a fractal. But if you create an artificial intelligence that starts to feel and think for itself, in that very moment, doesn't it stop being artificial and just be intelligence? I don't know. <coughs> I noticed in Greek mythology, they did talk about War of Gods, where man was watching, and that these gods that are beyond man uh, are uh, more dimensional, like an angel in the war in heaven. Uh, I don't know where this is all going in that regard. Stay tuned on that. It's kind of creepy. Do you think that the increase in this virtual reality technology is a simplified version of what this reality is actually is? Well, trial by fire, Capetia. Um, Yeah, electricity, nuclear energy. If we don't turn those switches off, there won't be a seventh epoch. Uh, that's how that'll play. There is uh, some discussion in Europe about black goo and uh, how it is a nanite terraforming Fukushima and Chernobyl. I don't know what that means. I know that that mold is is uh, thriving in a galactic center-like environment with nuclear radiation uh, present. I, you know, I don't know what nanites are. I can tell you that uh, at this juncture, uh, it's a wonderment for me. Uh, when they talk about Nibiru and Stanford University saying, well, yeah, we're a binary. There it is up there past the Earth cloud. And yet everyone is saying the infrared signature is wrong for a brown dwarf. And so what does that mean? Well, I have friends from uh, JPL that are retired that are telling me it's probably a Dyson sphere, like our future. So, you know, what does that mean? You are, um, how old were you, you said? I'm 73. I'll be, on, I'll be 73 in March. You are like uh, more than double my age. Uh, uh, hopefully it will be in a long time, but you are closer to the moment of death than I. How, how, how do you view it as it approaches? Because I'm already thinking about imagining things already. But, you know, I imagine the older you get and the closer you get, uh, maybe. How do you view it? The quickening, <laughs> where time is speeding up. Like as a child, everything moves slowly and now it's moving more quickly. Um, here's an interesting thought for you to entertain. Isn't it interesting at age 40 that everything you discover as new information, you know, when you have that aha moment and you see the connection of one thing to another, it seemingly doesn't do anything but open more questions. And so the information 
seems that every time you get something, you have more things you don't know. Now, what do you think that might mean psychologically at the moment of death if we had a reflected universe like they did? That's what happened, by the way. CERN, before they got into this singulate nonsense, they were going to try to create uh, an experiment demonstrating the Big Bang, where they actually created a quark gluon plasma. And they did. They, they, you know, that, by the way, that is found in ATP as a, if you look at the physics, the physical geometry of the molecule, it's a little quark gluon plasma, it's a pinch effect and the whole thing, um, is adenosine triphosphate, something that Kervan got a Nobel Prize for, converting potassium into sodium as a controlled thermonuclear fusion process in your body. Now, that when they created that quark gluon plasma, that only existed in one-tenth of one second of the first moment of the Big Bang. And then all our elementary particles began to mutate out and become what they are as we know them today. And what happened in that experiment was a reflected universe was replaced re, uh, was created like a drop of water falling from the heaven and hitting a pool of water. There are the outer waves that move outward from splash, and that uh, is considered the future. And the waves that went inward and slapped each other formed an exclusion zone bubble of water trapping the medium it's in. Normally it's air. That cavitation process is called, um, it's, a, it's a topological surface, it's a torus that's going into the outer, like a black hole leading to a white hole, like your two brains might imply ration and reason. And um, then we have another cavitation process with the concept of two stars, binary. Um, I don't know yet what it means, but the universe that was created in experiment created a reflected universe going backward in time. And at the moment of death, there is a high likelihood that you have all the answers. And then as you progress further to Doth, D-A-A-T-H, that missing Sephiroth in the middle of the abyss on your way to God, in the emergence, it's... Uh, a drop of water capturing cavitation, which means you don't become childish or a child, you become childlike in your awareness. And that's something that I've always enjoyed right out of the crib, what they call self-realization, where I have dialogue with myself. I've been very blessed. And uh, it has a double edge to it. Uh, people think I'm <laughs> like a functioning savant, I draw and knob and bob and, you know, the usual weirdness that you associate with dyslexia, autism. <laughs> when you study a, a very young child, like a few months old and maybe up to a year, you can see this childlike view of the world and you, they actually seem quite enlightened in their, I mean, they look at everything in the right way. When does that go away, and how could you, as a parent, make sure it doesn't go away too much? 
I, oh, <laughs> I had drugs. <laughs> I take drugs. No, I'm kidding. Uh, uh, basically, in the 60s, when I experimented with drugs, uh, while I just out of graduate school, I, uh, the military encouraged that. Basically, what that did was jumpstart my own production of those drugs, like dimethyltryptamine and lysergic acid amide, uh, that are in my own brain. And uh, the chill that you have, you know, that chill that goes up and down your spine, that's uh, dimethyltryptamine, uh, Rick Strassman's spirit molecule. There it is, just like that. And you can generate that all on your own without having to take drugs. Basically, when I took drugs to speed up this process, I took lysergic acid diethylamide, LSD, and my body freaked out. It saw this toxin coming into my body with a similar look-alike chemistry from my own brain chemistry. And what it did is immediately attacked the lysergic acid diethylamide, LSD, broke it down into all the salts, and had it in my urine within about 20 minutes of production. And what happened next was the 20 hours of hallucinations was from my own body chemistry. Now that means we have tools at our disposal, like autonomic function. I trained SEALs using biofeedback back 45 years ago to be able to control heart rate and pulse and respiration that were part of the parasympathetic nervous system and can be changed by simple thought alone. And I trained sales on how to do that. And today, 45 years later, trying to do the same thing with the various release of brain chemistries and to somehow orchestrate ways using visual imaging of sacred geometry, other kinds of resonant patterning using brain drivers and other so to drive the release of these things with conscious volition like I might change a belief system and let me tell you what's happening next it's like a cavitation ball it's uh, that's what death is when it has this drop of water that hits the pool it pops back up again but it's no longer a drop of water it's a cavitation ball that is what death is about. It is the cavitation of trapping specific timelines and uh, in the moment. So in your view, uh, belief and fact are basically the same thing? Well, <laughs> I wouldn't have seen it if I hadn't have believed it. So that's a bit of a paradox. <laughs> yes, that's it. Like, and what is a paradox? But to serve your metaphor. That, what is your metaphor but to serve your paradox? That's a more accurate, that's Gregory Bateson. And so I have, as a rough approximation, I have two ox out in a meadow to demonstrate what a metaphor is about and how it serves my paradox. And our use of words and the concepts of sound that you will find in the older Bibles, the Colbrin Bibles, moving up into the ones that are uh, called the Sefer Yetzirah, the Book of Formation, and how to relate sounds to words. What is your metaphor? But to serve your paradox. That's Gregory Bates. Richard Miller then has a picture 
two oxon in his meadow. Do you have a website that people can check out? And can you also talk a bit about what uh, those books were you've written and where people can get them? Yes. Uh, my primary website is my name, richardallenmiller.com. A-L-A-N. richardallenmiller.com. You can also go to docram.com for Richard Allen Miller. Doc, D-O-C-R-A-M. Dot com And that's my Facebook presence, which is reflected on my daily posts on my website, trying to give you what I think are important news events for the day, each day. And there is dialogue and commentary that people follow. I have about 40,000 views a week now at my Facebook. And both have bookstores that lead you to uh, Richard Allen Miller forward slash uh, books or uh, go to oak-publishing.com, which is my website for all my books. And both sites have a bookstore and it will take you there. And I have a lot of books that I've written to include the brand new ones in agriculture being uploaded today on the Encyclopedia of Alternative Agriculture just in um, um, ebook forms. So thank you a lot for taking the time to talk to me. My pleasure, Alex. Thank you for having me. Check out these websites, richardallenmiller.com, and that's Alan with one L, richardallenmiller.com, and docram.com, D-O-C-R-A-M.com. Now we are going to hear a song by Dan Warren called Maybe You'll Be the First to Die from the album Departures. To hear more of Dan's music, go to danlwarren.wordpress.com forward slash music or cdbaby.com forward slash artist forward slash Dan Warren. As you might suspect already, if you are a regular listener, you will be able to find all these links in the program notes on naturalbornalchemist.com. So you don't have to write it down and uh, remember it. You can just go to naturalbornalchemist.com and click on the link you need. Now, next Sunday, we are going to celebrate episode 100. So tune in for that. Freedom is in the mind. Maybe you'll be the first to die I'll probably live alone Sometimes Telephone, I said, I wish I could touch you.
your head.